listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. We're jumping back into Luke today. I'm just curious. Has anybody ever stood in line to meet a celebrity? Anybody? Anybody ever? Anybody want to meet? Okay. Well, th- those of you that are raising your hands, keep, keep your hands up because I want to know who did you stand in line to see? And, and, and before we get to that, how long did you stand in line? Did anybody stand in line for more than an hour to see this celebrity? Hands up. Okay. So keep your hands up. More than two hours? More than three hours? Okay, it looks like yours is the, the hand up. So, Elena, you stood three hours in line to see who? Who? Oh, Ryan Lochte, the swimmer. Okay, the Olympic swimmer. Fantastic. Bill, who'd you stand in line to see? Point of Grace. What about, what about you, Scott? Tony Dungy. Tim, who'd you stand in line to see? Tony Stewart. Okay. Tap, uh, I'm sorry. Who'd you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Fantastic. I stood in line as a child for, I'm not really sure how long, but he was a celebrity. And, uh, and, and I remember going to a, a distance. I honestly don't remember where it was, but it was at a, you know, a civic center of some sort. And I stood in line to see uh, Rick Hurst. And everybody goes, well, who is that? Well, Rick Hurst is the lovable deputy Cletus Hogg from the 1990, uh, 1980s show, The Dukes of Hazard. I got to meet Cletus. So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. Mic drop, right? No, no. Uh, Stacy, you'd have stood in line to see Bo, wouldn't you? That, oh, yeah, she says. Oh, yeah. John Schneider, he was a looker back then, she says. So, anyway, you know, when we're standing in line, and we're waiting to get that celebrity. You know, sometimes you go to a concert, especially if it is a Christian concert. A lot of times those artists are, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, to, to do a business. And so they want to try to meet as many fans as possible. And they'll play their part of the show. And then they'll say, hey, come meet us at our merchandise table. Come get autograph and buy a t-shirt and all that kind of stuff. And so you'll stand in line. Or if it's somebody more famous. Or sometimes you might be the, the lucky one that calls the radio station that, you know, gets the, the backstage pass that you get to go see Rod Stewart himself as he brings his walker back off stage to, you know, to the backstage to meet everybody. You know, we, we are infatuated by celebrities. You, know, you, you hear it all the time. People will meet a celebrity and it, they're just so starstruck that they stumble over what they're going to say. They, they, you know, they, they claim their own, you know, they say their own name. You know, it's, it's good to meet you, Kevin. I'm, I mean, I, not me, but you. And I'm just so starstruck. We're just amazed and we're just very enthralled with the whole celebrity idea. If you were standing in line to see a celebrity... And someone came out and said, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be just a few minutes because uh, 
the celebrity's family has shown up, and he hasn't seen them for a, a number of months. So he's going to take just a few minutes and just spend some time with them. Be patient if you've got the time. We'd like for you to stay, but we just want you to be aware that no one's getting in until he's done or she's done spending a little time with their family. Now, we might be disappointed. We might find ourselves aggravated because we've got to, you know, keep a time. We've got the babysitters, and now we're going to leave, and I'm going to get the autograph. We might be frustrated, but we would not be surprised because that makes total sense for someone of, of such a, a, a high position to have an inroad to the celebrity. You would say, oh, no, no problem. I, I get it. I understand because we know many of us that have had good mothers. I have a good mother. And we know that if mama calls, we're going to do all we can do to be a help to her if possible. In fact, some of us might take that to a fault. We might be willing to do for mom when we should be doing for our own family. But we get it. We understand or grandma, or grandpa. We just get the fact that while I may be important to them, there's someone who's more important to them. And we just understand that. It would be odd for us if, if we were to see some folks going to the back of the line and hearing their chatter saying, I can't believe he won't see us. I can't believe she won't see us. And they say, well, mom, I mean, you know, it's been a while since you talked to him. And, you know, he, he always was the favorite son, but you never have, you hadn't called him in a while and he's upset. And you'd be thinking, well, wait, it's, was he talking about his mom, her mom? Is he sending them to the back of the line? How strange that would be, almost, if not completely, dishonoring. Well, that's exactly what we find in the text today that we're going to jump back into, having been gone for about eight weeks from the book of Luke. We're going to jump back in, and we're right into the middle of where we were in chapter number 8. We're going to try to kind of catch up in our minds just a little bit, but just keep in mind this idea of familiarity and, and, and the thought of having an in with Jesus and then discovering that's not going to get me in any closer than those that are already in. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 19, just three verses. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now that seems like a strange thing. To, I don't, I, maybe, maybe it just seems strange to me. I, I figure that it's probably strange to you too that that mom and brothers and sisters are outside where Jesus is at. The crowd is heavy. The house is full. There are people all around crowding where no one else can get in. And Jesus is teaching and he's doing miracles. And then he finds out that his family's outside. And it seems strange to me that he just basically ignores them. 
And if you were to read this passage in Matthew and Mark, those individuals record that Jesus says, Who are my brothers and my mother and my sister? It sounds like a very dishonoring thing. You don't care about your family, Jesus? They don't mean anything to you? That idea is so far from true. Jesus loves his mother. Jesus loves his brothers. Jesus loves his sisters. And yes, he has a familial relationship with them. He was raised by one. He was raised around the others. They have a connection just through DNA that's just very special and very normal, just like you and I do with our family. But Jesus takes this opportunity to make a very strong theological point. To make a very stark reality clear to those who are listening with positive ears and those that were listening looking to trap him and having already rejected him. What Jesus says in verse 29 is that figuratively speaking, I consider those to be my family who hear the word of God and do it. You see, Jesus is talking about obedience. He's been talking about obedience in this entire chapter, even moving up to this place. What do we see these examples? Well, one is an example that we've, we've skipped over because we're going to pick it up in a few weeks and, and we're going to tie it together uh, a little differently uh, than, than, than being right here just in order. In, in the first three verses of chapter 8, we learn about some women who are following Jesus and the disciples, and they are out of their own pocket. They're helping to finance the ministry that Jesus is doing, which was a very strange and odd thing for these women to do. And for for Luke to record it, he wanted to make sure that everyone understood that the financiers of this ministry were these ladies who were following Jesus as well. What were they doing? They were being obedient to the Word of God. Jesus was was going, and He was teaching, and He was inviting those to follow Him that would. Chances are huge that these women may have even left their homes. They may have even left opportunities that they had in their, in, in their communities where they could be making money. If they had money, they were making money, but yet they left those opportunities and began to use their finances that were probably limited for the purpose of the ministry of Jesus. They were obeying him, and you could see it by the way that they were following and giving of what they had for the purpose that Jesus was Laying forth. Then we see a a large passage where Jesus refers to obedience through the parable of the sower and the seed. He talks about the sower, and we discuss this section where the sower goes out and he throws the seed, which is the Word of God. Some of that seed falls on hard ground. The birds come, just pick it up, take it away. It's not effective in that soil at all. And some of it falls on rocky soil. It goes down a little bit. It begins to sprout up. You would think, oh, wow, this is going to be a productive productive plant. But then the sun comes out, and the, the fact that there's no deep roots and no water, it just sort of withers away. It goes away as fast as it came up. And then some of it lands on the thorny ground. 
And, and it starts to come up, but then the thorns that are planted around it, as it's coming up, chokes out the plant and causes it to die. But then some of that seed falls on good soil, where it, it goes into the ground, it takes root, it has the nutrients it needs, and it sprouts up and it bears fruit. Some little, some more, some much. Jesus is talking about obedience to the Word. The, the, the hard ground, the heart that is not, not prepared to hear, doesn't want to hear, doesn't care about what Jesus is saying. It's, it's, it's unconcerned. And the seed is there, and, and, and they look at it, and they don't get it. And the, the, Jesus says that the enemy comes and steals it from them. We see that happen all the time. We share Jesus with others. We talk about the gospel, and they just look through you like, how in the world could anybody be so dumb as to believe that kind of thing? Their heart is not prepared, and so they don't obey the Word of God, which is to follow Christ and believe in His person and work. And then there are some that it looks like it's coming up, but as soon as things get difficult, then they wither away. Why? Because their root is not deep. There's no obedience. They just, they're following, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, it's going to cost that? Nah, I don't know. I'm going to rein it back a little bit, and they wither away. There's no obedience to God's Word. And then there are those that sprout up. They have everything they need, but then the cares of this world, money and, and, and position and pride and all of the things that I'm wanting to accomplish with my life, with the time I have, overshadow what, what, what Jesus is calling us to do. And we just go, I just don't have time for that. I got too much going on and there's more profit. And I just, I'm not going to be able to be what you want me to be, Jesus. And the thorns choke you out. Or you hear God's word. You might not understand everything you're hearing. You, you, you might not understand much about what you've heard. But you're drawn and you take that step of obedience, which then turns to another step of obedience, which turns into another step. And as you continue to study and as you continue to walk with those who have, who have been followers of Christ longer, and you begin to, oh, that's what that means. That's what he's talking about. Oh, I should probably set this down and embrace. Oh, okay. And you're taking another step and another step and another step. And you begin to bear fruit. What is that fruit? That fruit is the reproduction of the life and character of Jesus in your life and in my life. It's as we follow him, as we obey him, we begin to sound and look and think more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's the fruit. It's not something that you're going out doing for him. It's just you continuing to take one step after another, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you into the new person that Jesus has paid with his life for you to become. Fruit. And so Jesus is talking about obedience. And when we get to the, the next little section, he's talking about a lamp that you light. He says it's, it's, it's like a, a lamp that you set fire to so that you can see in the dark. You wouldn't put a, a bushel over top of it. You wouldn't put a basket over it. No, you would set it up so that everyone coming into the house could see. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous uh, idea, metaphor. It's like you wouldn't put these these light fixtures up and then take duct tape 
and tape over the lights, that would be foolish. Why in the world would you do that? He's saying it's the same for those that would want to hear God's word, and even though the light's turned on, they refuse to obey, and they cover it up. He goes, no, you set it up where it can give light to others. And as you obey, folks, will see the life of Christ in you. Not your better life. Not, not you that's, that's somehow uh, uh, doing things and you're doing better. No, God is more and more and more in control of you so that his transformational work is becoming more and more seen. And it's Jesus doing the work and it's Jesus being seen. And it's Jesus shining for those around. Fruit that comes from obedience. So what Jesus does here, Luke uses this, this illustration that Jesus uses as, a, as a, a tool for differentiating between individuals. Luke uses as, as a, a conclusion to a section on obedience. And what Jesus is saying is, I, I know that you think mom and, and, and my brothers, James and, and, and Jonah and, and those others that are out there, my sisters, I know that you think that they should have an inroad with me because of our connection family-wise. But those who are connected most to me are those who have heard the word and obeyed. Those that have heard about me and have believed that I am the promised Messiah and are following me and are hearing the things that I'm teaching, not just to memorize them, not just to talk about them, not just to write books about them, but in order to do them. They're listening, they're asking, and they're trading their former thoughts for the things that I'm teaching. Even things they've heard in their synagogues, from the priests, from the teachers of the law, if they've said something and and I am saying something contrary. They're uh, removing their, their ideas of former thoughts and they're embracing what I'm saying and they're doing what I'm saying and they're following the path that I'm leading. Those are the ones who are most closely related to me. Now, Matthew and Mark have it in the section that, that Jesus is going to battle with the Pharisees. I think, I think Matthew and Mark probably have this little section more accurate to the chronology of it. Jesus is going at the Pharisees. They can't stand it that he's doing miracles on the Sabbath. They're saying it is not proper for you to be doing miracles because that is work, that is against God's law, that is sin, and you are wrong. If you're following this Jesus, then you are blind because he is a sinner breaking God's law. Can we just get over the fact right now as, as followers of Jesus in 2021 where the light goes off in us that goes, wait a minute, God is one God distinctively uh, uh, revealed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If God's word was written and given to the people in, in a time that was uh, several hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the, the, the person of Christ and the second person of the Godhead was just as active as any of the other three and giving the word of God. Jesus knew the law. That's why Jesus could say, you've heard, it, you've heard that it was written, but I say to you. Why? Because I'm the author of the law. I'm the giver. Of, I'm, I'm God the Son. I know what the law says. I know what the law means, and I'm not breaking the law. In fact, I'm fulfilling the law. 
Because what I'm doing is the work of God. The Sabbath is given by God to man. I'm just following God's leading and I'm healing him and him and her and them on the Sabbath day. I'm just doing the work of God that he doesn't stop doing. What God doesn't want y'all doing is to get your eyes on yourself Get them off of him and do work all day long, trusting in what you can do for yourself. The Sabbath is about remembering who your bread comes from and trusting God. I'm not doing work. I'm following the the leading of my Father. I'm doing his work. And they go, no, no, no. What you're doing is the work of Satan. And that's a line drawn in the sand. Jesus is drawing, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is inviting, Jesus is warning his people to follow him. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they're very, very important in the narrative of Jesus, in the life of Jesus. Because had the teachers of the law received Christ as Messiah, the people would have followed them. If their leaders would have said, here he is, he is from Nazareth, that wasn't what we were expecting, but he fulfilled all of the other prophecies and expectations, here he is, he's saying some things that are different than what we taught, but he's teaching with authority, and he's teaching with signs and wonders to back up what he's saying, so whatever he says is right, and we want to just apologize for whatever we taught you was wrong, let's follow him. You know, the people would have done it. But as Jesus invited and Jesus was calling the leaders to follow, they were one after another saying, we'll not have you, we'll not have you, we'll not, we don't want you. And by the way, everybody, what he is is doing the work of Satan. Well, that's where we get into the whole idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And and that's that because these are guys that knew they had the knowledge, they had the understanding, they had the teaching, they had the know-how, and they willingly rejected Jesus. And it is in that section that, that most of the Bible students that I follow after see that Jesus basically says, okay then. If that's what you're going to believe, then I'm going to let you hold that. And I'm going to continue to present myself to the people. And that's exactly what he did. Continue to to spread the gospel, continue to, to speak truth. And there were many that followed him. And some of the religious leaders followed him. But as a whole, they said, we don't want you. You're of the devil. It's in that section, when he's going at it with the, the, the leaders of Israel, that Matthew and Mark put this section. And, and, and I think what they were doing is, is not only uh, giving the idea of obedience being what brings us into right fellowship and the closeness with Messiah, but it was also Jesus was using that as an opportunity to show the people and to make an express statement that blood has nothing to do with right relationship with God. What were the Israelites counting on? They were counting on that, that God chose them as a nation. I'm one of them as a Jew. And so when Messiah comes, then I'm with him. And, and, and I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm going to be brought along because I'm of the right lineage. I'm of the right nationality. I have all the right paperwork. And so therefore, I'm safe and the world had better get ready. And Jesus is saying, y'all got it upside down. 
Yes, God did call you. And yes, God did create you as a nation. But you've got to trust me just like everybody else. And if you don't trust me, if you don't follow me, if you don't believe in me, if you don't accept me as God's Messiah, then it doesn't matter who gave birth to you. It doesn't matter if you can follow Israel, uh, Ancestry.com, all the way back to Abraham himself. It doesn't matter who you're related to. Those that are connected to Messiah are those who hear his word and obey. What's the first step in obedience to the word of God? It's, It's accepting what it says about you. It's believing what the Scripture says about you. That you are broken and in need of forgiveness. That that, that you have an issue that you can't fix, no matter how hard you try. It's you recognizing that that God, in His His amazingness, made us. and, And that that we see around us. And by sin, we are broken. And then it's trusting in what the Scripture says, what Jesus said, what he spoke through the prophets, what he said through the apostles, that God has addressed what is broken in me through Christ. And that God is intent on restoring me. Not not just, God's not intent on getting you to heaven we got to divorce ourselves from that thought. This thing that we're in right now, this is not about get your ticket stamped in 2021 so that whatever date that we, that we die or Jesus comes back, then we'll get in. It's, it's, it's not about a, a validation ticket. It's about God restoring what is broken in us and then living the life of Jesus through us in this time for his glory. As we do that and as we obey, yes, others are going to come to him. Others are going to believe as we do what Jesus said to do and as we act and, and, and live out the way we're, that we're called to, just following him through the power of the Spirit. Yes, others are going to follow him. But ultimately, God's about changing us and transforming us for his glory today. And yes, it gets better and better and better until ultimately we see him face to face. We're going to celebrate the life of Linda Morrell today, this afternoon. And y- y'all, y'all know what her and Bill got here just in the latter stage of, of, of her Lewy body dementia. They came here so that the climate would give her an opportunity to enjoy a, a last days that they knew were coming. You can look at her life and you can go, wait a minute. So, so God saved her in order to, 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 to let her suffer more and more and more and more. God saved her and allowed her to go through what had to filter through him to get to her. But, but you show up to the Oak Ridge Funeral Home today at, at 3 o'clock and listen to how God used her. In those years and in those months that she was going down, down, down for more and more of his glory. Because it's not just about getting her to heaven, which she's there today. But that's, that's just the, the, the ultimate of it. And, and even, I would argue, that's not even the ultimate yet. Till she puts on the body that 
will be put away like a seed. She re-inhabits that body along with others that you know and love that know Christ as Savior. When they are resurrected like Jesus, well, it just gets better and better. And then we've got our resurrected body. And now we're with him and we're with everybody else. And it just gets better and better. But it starts today. And it starts with believing what God has said is broken in you. And and what God has said about himself, about his grace, his mercy, his love for us. And it's going, I, I I don't just know the facts. I can't just tell you about the fact that Jesus, according to Christianity, was crucified and buried and rose again. No, I believe it. I I receive it. I'm following. I'm trusting it with every fiber of my body, soul, and spirit that that is the answer to every question I'll ever have because it's God's answer to humanity. And I'm trusting it and I'm believing it. And if Jesus said it, I want to do it. I want to follow it. Say, Kevin, you can't. I can't. I know I can't. I know you can't. But, but he said if we'll just take a step that the Holy Spirit will equip and empower so that we can become more and more and more and more like Jesus for God's glory today. And Jesus drew that line and said, I just want to be clear. It's not that I don't love mama. It's not that I don't love my brothers and sisters. I just need y'all to understand what I'm doing right here is important for you to, to, to let me use this as, a, as an illustration for you. I'm going to do something that's going to seem backwards to draw, drive a point home to you. It's not about those inside connections. It's about obedience. Hearing and obeying. And realizing that as we do, where are we? We're as close to Jesus as mama. Yay, closer. Why? Because it ain't about family. It's about obedience. I said that should encourage us. If, if, If you're someone who's just, you're a follower of Jesus by faith, you've trusted him, you believe that, in, in the resurrection, and you're, you're trusting Jesus to, to guide your life. You're, you're, you're reading the scripture, and you're trying to obey it to the very best of your power, and you're finding that, you know, sometimes I do a pretty good job at obeying. Sometimes I fall on my face, but I'm reading here, and I find out that God loves me and forgives me and dusts me off and sets me back on my feet, and that the more I yield myself to him, the more the Holy Spirit will do, and you're trying, and you're going, but I just don't, I can never be as close to him as that guy standing on the stage. Listen to what Jesus says. It's about obedience. It's not about, not about you comparing yourself to me. It's not about you thinking that other folks have got. It's, look, if you're trying to follow Jesus and, and you're obeying him and you're wanting to, to be used by him, you know what he says? He says, you're in the family, man. You're close. You're right here with me. You don't have to wait in line. You got a better pass than than any family member would ever have because out of your obedience, you're here. That's an encouraging word, but it also can bring a little bit of discouragement to those of us that are counting on the fact that we're, you know, well, I, out, of, out of 52 weeks out of the year, I'm there 47 weeks, so I'm close to Jesus. That doesn't correlate that way. No, it's good to be in the house of God. In fact, it, it's, it really, it's bad for you. You know, if you're, if you're not here, it's, it's, it's not a good choice, typically. But that's not what makes you close to Him. 
The fact that, well, you know what? Those folks that can play instruments and they sing pretty and they're close to him, not me. You know, uh-uh. Now, if you're obeying, if you're following, then you got. But you know what? It's a discouragement. I don't care how pretty you sound. That ain't what gets you close. It's not whether you've written a bunch of books or whether you've been teaching theology in the seminaries for the last 30 years and you don't even have to have a curriculum. You just come in, start quoting the Scripture, and those boys and, and, and those men and women are in there going, oh, this man's so awesome, this one's so fantastic because they know all this stuff. That don't make them close because they can know all of that and not be doing none of it. So it's, it, it's double-edged sword. It's an encouragement to those that we're just we're trying to follow him every day. And Jesus goes, you up close then. Keep on following. And, and for those of us that are counting on the stuff we're doing, counting on the, the number of times, the number of VBSs we've worked at, or the number of this or that, Jesus is like, uh, I, you know, that's, that's good and all. There was glory in that, but that's not what draws you close. It's obedience. It's walking by faith. There are no inside tracks. Family, hometown, best friend, number of years, there are no inside tracks to Jesus. Jesus says it's about hearing what I'm saying and doing it. It begins with faith in his person, but it continues with obedience to his words. Always, it's, it's always a sad thing when someone follows Jesus in a, in a meeting at camp or somewhere where, where, they, where they, they've heard the gospel, they've heard the truth, and they trust Jesus the best they can, but then they're never disciple. That's sad to me. Because what they're going to do is they're, they're typically going to stumble. Even if they trust Christ, they're going to stumble back into that same environment and they're going to wrestle for the rest of their life. I think that's sad. We should be disciples. That's why I appreciate camps like Camp Anderson who, who say, you know, if you, if you trust Jesus, we want to find out, you know, are you involved with the church? They tell us. We get the information on all those decision cards. As a ministry, if any of our kids uh, profess faith in Christ or, 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 or prayed to, to recommit their life or had a struggle with something, they tell us what's on that card. Not, not because they're, being, uh, you know, they're breaking trust. No, because they want us to pick up the baton and help them. Not just trust Him, but then follow Him. And I appreciate that about them. Because faith and, and intimacy begins with faith in who He is. But it continues, that intimacy continues through obedience. Anybody ever witnessed a marriage that was, you know, it was, it was really close at the beginning. And then it just starts drifting apart. Now, has anybody ever seen one? You might, you might be seeing it from the inside today. What, what happens? Well, we change. Yeah, we all change but what happens is, is that we stop abiding with one another. We get, we get familiar. We take one another for granted. You know, we, hey, I, I got her. Why do I have to woo her anymore? I got the paperwork, right? She's, she's mine, I'm hers. And well, you know what? Why do I have to keep that anymore? Because it's about intimacy. It's about continuing to build into that, continuing to, to, to work into that relationship. And so many of us trust Jesus and then we just expect life to get better. 
you're reading the wrong Bible. It don't say that's going to happen. In fact, it says you'll probably get a worse deal following Christ. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Keep following me. I'll strengthen you and prepare you for what's ahead. It's about obedience. Let's wrap it up. Let me ask you these questions we'll go home. How have you been defining your closeness with God? Have you been defining your closeness to God in terms of feelings? In terms of family? So how do I do that? Well, mama was a believer. Grandma was a believer. So, I, you know, I don't deny it. But I, I'm, I'm in on their coattails. You define it in, in terms of, uh, of knowledge. Well, I know a lot about it. In, in terms of proximity. Well, I hang around it every week. Is that how you're defining closeness with God? Jesus says, I want you to consider it in terms of faith and obedience. Uh, uh, Consider the closeness, not by how much you've accomplished, but by whether or not you're continuing to follow after Him. Some kids learn how to tie their shoes at two Kids are in middle school, still wearing Velcro. <laughs> if you're wearing Velcro, I'm sorry. But you can learn to tie your shoes. <laughs> you know, we don't all learn at the same pace. We don't all develop at the same pace. But if you're still getting up in the family of God and lacing them or Velcroing them over and trying to follow Him, Jesus says, you're in here. Keep following, keep trusting, keep obeying. What disobedience has God revealed to you today? What, what do you, like as we're talking about obedience, as we're talking about putting to practice what, what God's Word says. See, the Holy Spirit works this way. Like you check out, you might have been thinking about this, but, but what He'll do is he'll, he'll take the words, you know, of, of, of a guy who drones on and on. But he'll take those things that he wants to use and he'll allow you to hear about, about intimacy being about obedience to what, what God's Word says. And then what the Holy Spirit will do is he'll go, yeah, like that. And then he'll define it. And he's like, that that I've been trying to get you to obey, that you keep going, no, no, I'm going to keep doing it this way, Lord. I don't want to do it that way. Oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. He's like, that, that's what he's talking Hey. You, you've been feeling a little dry. You've been feeling a little disconnected. Well, look, why don't you just put to practice what you know I've been trying to get you to obey and you've just been pushing back on me. That, that'd be a good step. Get on back in here. Come on, get back in here. Just put that to work. What's God revealed to you today? What is it that you know He's shown you, you know He's led you, but you've been going, la, 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 I don't want to do it. What has Jesus instructed that you consistently struggle to obey? You know, it's that thing that you're constantly having to go, it's me again, Lord. You know, that thing, I just blew it again. You know, a, a, a step of obedience is always going to be when you blow it, just simply own it. Just own it. God, I blew it. I did it again. I said it again. I wasted it again. I knew better. And I just blew it again. 
God, will you forget? I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. Help me. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep wrestling, Lord. I believe you're going to give me victory. I believe you're going to teach me how to, how to live above this thing. But right now, I just need forgiveness and I need restoration. I just need you to wash me and clean me with that same blood that is able to save me. That you would clean and restore me. Today would be a great day. To just be dusted off. And set back on the path. Obedience to God's word is a daily pursuit. That requires our intentional response. But it draws us into real intimacy with the Savior. I'll say it one more time and we'll pray. Obedience to God's Word is a daily pursuit that requires your intentionality. It requires my intentionality in response. But it always draws us in to intimacy with our Savior. Those of you who have children, you know that you might have been proud of them when they did that somersault that was almost perfect if they could. But you know, and you'll admit, you're no more proud of that than you were when they said, Daddy, watch this. And they kind of bent over and they fell off to the side and they rolled over and they stood up and went, ta-da. What did you do? You went, that's good. Because it's not about your accomplishment. It's about your obedience. The accomplishment's always going to be on him. The glory's always going to be his. It's always going to be his work. The obedience is ours. And the obedience brings us into intimacy with him. Be encouraged, church. Confess what is sin that needs to be forgiven. Seek help for that that you consistently struggle with because you're not alone. We're all in it together. And then let's walk out the doors going, Lord, I really want to obey. I really want my life to be an exercise of obedience. And that'd be the first step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that that he's shown the light on the fact that uh, our deep and intimate connection to him just comes through obedience and faith and Trusting in in who He is and what He has done, what He has called us to, and what through the Holy Spirit He is seeking to make us into. And I pray that you will just encourage our hearts. Give us courage to confess what needs to be confessed. To pursue those things that you've called us to that we know. And just be obedient. God, I pray for that one that's not yet trusted Jesus as Savior. Maybe they know about Him. Maybe they've known about Him for a long time, but never never surrendered themselves. 
and accepted a crucified and risen Savior as the answer for their life, as the way for them to follow. I pray that today they would confess their sin, receive Jesus and the free gift of His salvation by faith believing. And if that's you today, I just want to remind you, you don't have to go straight home. You can hang around and we can show you from God's Word just exactly what that looks like. So Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for the opportunities that await us. We pray that you'll give us the courage to be obedient for your glory as we wait on your Son to return. Our King, our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Let's do it.